It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time to sparkle. Greetings, citizens of Sparkletown. This is your deputy mayor speaking. Sparkletown is a municipality that intersects and overlaps with the city of Berlin. It is ruled by the Contessa, and its citizens are anyone who is uh, fantastic, incredible, amazing, fabulous, and fabulous indeed, as the Contessa said. In today's episode, we will be speaking to Alexander Camelto. That is correct. On stage, I don't really pretend to be a man ever. You know, there isn't really that illusion. It's really like an, an idea of dropping gender. So today we are speaking to Alexander Cameltoe. Who was the first drag king I saw in Berlin. Aha. Uh-huh. But not the first we interviewed because we had Natak on here a couple of months ago. So, uh, yes, this is a fairly recent one instead of uh, the... Uh, old uh, i don't want to say stale because no we were all caught up yeah, we finally well, got all caught up yes. um from prior to the um enforced hiatus yes <laughs> and so this is the first of the new of the new batch yeah these are all recorded in 2018 yeah within this. the last two months yeah will you speak into the microphone please no, <laughs> within the last two months, and right. we have four of them. So Alexander first, that'll be today. Right. Then we have one more yeah. Berlin Queen then, and two then, more London Queens. Yeah. That's right. So anything we want to say about Alexander before we uh, just jump straight into the Artist, interview? intellectual, um, producer, uh, performer. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever seen somebody walk onto a stage and just own it? Mm-hmm. I've seen Alexander, so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One of the things I found remarkable in editing this interview was how incredibly um, spot on their accent is. Um, I This is not my native tongue. I'm actually a born Swedish speaker, and this was the third language that I learned to speak. But I've spoken it um, for so long, and um, uh, yeah, most people can't hear it. I can actually hear it when I listen to recordings of my own uh, talking. I can hear that. Eh, I'm actually only uh, not quite there. I'm I'm 99.9% there, and I usually catch when somebody is not speaking in their in their actual accent, uh, provided I know it. In Westworld, there's a, an actress who she is really really good, and she mostly nails the American accent. But at one point, I was watching a clip, and I went wait, and I uh, uh, rewound. rewound Watched it again a couple of times, and I was like, no, she's Danish, and she was. But in editing this with Alexander Cameltoe, they are spot on. There is no way in hell that you can tell that this person was not born an American speaker, as far as I'm concerned. No, you, you're really touchy about that, oh, too. Yes. We watch TV. You will stop things in the middle and go, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's annoying. Yes. But no, Alexander, English is... Just fine. (laughs) It's better than just fine. And so, uh, hear for yourself. Hello. What's your name? Drag name, please. Alexander, um, or for the full name, Alexander Cameltoe. Where are you from, Alexander? Born in Germany, outside of Hanover. Uh, I was raised in Switzerland, outside of Zurich. Aha. more country, rural part. Still very nice, though. Lots of lakes, lots of mountains. Um, and then I studied for five years 
in the States, in Rhode Island, before moving here two years ago. How long have you been doing drag? Um, almost the entire time that I've been in Berlin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hit the ground two years ago, right out of, after graduating art school, I came here and I was just absorbed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that is literally the word, absorbed. So pretty much two years. Yeah. Two years. Mm -hmm. Where'd you get your first performance? Uh, with the House of Presence. Um, I was, but well, my first time on the House of Presence stage was perhaps, well, more or less voluntary. Um, I showed up to the Halloween show, which was Stevie Nicks themed right mm -hmm. down my road. And uh, I was dragged on stage by the night bus, who is uh, an infamous character yeah. of nightlife. Um, and yeah, uh, so my first time on the House of Presence stage, I was having instructions such as, take off my thong, whispered in my ear <laughs> while improvising and dancing. <laughs> uh, it was glorious. It was beautiful. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. What brought you to Berlin? What was the, the pull of Berlin? Um, well, I'd lived most of my life in places where I didn't actually have citizenship. I never had Swiss citizenship nor American citizenship. And it was really nice to move back here where... Uh, one of the major polls is that I was allowed to be politically active. I was allowed to vote. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, Berlin itself has a huge draw for artists that are straight out of school. You know, it's, uh, it's cheap. It brings a lot of opportunity. Um, and I'd had a fascination with Berlin for a long time. So as a mixture of those two things, I think. Okay. For two years now, you've been doing drag as Alexander. Mm -hmm. What has drag taught you about you? Um, it's taught me that I'm very quick on my feet. Uh, I can attest <laughs> to that. Uh, this is someone who walks on a stage and owns it immediately. There is a presence that is just astounding to us mm -hmm. to watch. Thank and you. we thank you for that. Thank you. For saying that. Take um, over when <laughs> just, just hand over the microphone. Mm -hmm. We got this. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I think my first uh, official performance that I was actually prepared for um, with House of Presence, I had to be extremely quick on my feet. Uh, my first time performing, um, I, I'd been going to the shows a lot and I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I was like becoming friends with some of the performers um, and they had an opening slot. I think, yeah, the first time was for the Peaches themed evening and um, they posted online. Someone canceled. We have an open slot. Who wants to do it? And... Um, my best friend and roommate actually pushed me into it. I was like, oh, should I do it? I don't know. I shouldn't just insert myself like that. And they're like, just do it. Just message them. What can you lose? <laughs> and uh, I got the go ahead three hours before I was supposed to show up there. So in three hours, I needed to put together a look, come up with a name, send them a track <laughs> and put together a whole performance. It was, um, it was really something, but yeah. It taught me that I can I can have an idea and I can bring it to life in a very short amount of time, just problem solving and building entertainment in a very, um, yeah, like have to have improvised and have just relying on on presence and really entertaining the people. Being able to think on your feet brings up something we heard about. Mm -hmm. Would you please talk to us about the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh? Oh dear, um, that was last year. That was my first time going to the Fringe at all. I'd been spontaneously invited by some friends that had a circus act going Ooh. on. I was staying with them. Um, and I was just around. A bunch of my sisters from the House of Presence were there. Um, the night bus, again, mm -hmm. Giza. Um, 
and I went to see their show and they asked, Hey, don't you want to perform? I was like, uh, yes, but I didn't bring any of my drag. I just had civilians, like civilian clothing, which for me just means like t-shirt and jeans, very basic, very boring. (laughs) And I was like, okay, great. It's a Sunday. So most things are closed. Um, I need to somehow get some drag because I have a slot tonight. (laughs) What's happening? And so the things that are open on Saturdays in Edinburgh are these like dollar stores Mm -hmm. or like the charity shops, right? Like, so like the cancer charity shop where you can buy or the pound shop. Mm -hmm. And, um, I put together a performance and an outfit from all things that I found on the pound shop, which were namely fidget spinners, old Enya CDs, um, stockings and multicolored zip ties. Yeah. Oh boy. And some like really, really crappy acrylic paint. Um, and then I found this children's book that was like, you know, that like, one of those like science books where you like explore the human body uh-huh. uh, for yeah. like three-year-olds or something. And it was, it was on the sense of touch and I've read it in the, sh- in the store, but of course, like having a filthy mind, I <laughs> read it in all the wrong ways. And I was like, wait, what I'm going to do is a dramatic reading on the sense of touch and an interpretive dance to this children's book. And so I I made myself a top out of stockings with uh, the reflective side of CDs showing over my boobs and fidget spinners glued to that that would then work and spin as, (laughs) you know, like I could like fidget spin my little nipple tassels and whatever and do an interpretive dance. And it was, it was, it was a rage. It was hilarious. I got I got someone out of the crowd to read it for me. I was like, okay, who can read? <laughs> I need someone who can read. Um, and it being the Fringe Festival, of course, everyone there has a show and is a professional performer. So I got someone up and they were clearly very good at what they were doing and just like started reading in a very sultry voice, this children's book, you know, <laughs> we have thousands of nerves running through our body. <laughs> Some things are hot. Some things are cold. And it was just, yeah, we read through the whole book to a room full of drunk people at 1 a.m. And uh, I did an interpretive dance to some very, very soulful, sexy jazz music. And this is what we learn in art school, children. (laughs) And that's why I went to art school for five years. Yep. Um, I'm going back to the fringe this year with more prepared material. So, you know, improvement. Let's go back to art school for a moment. You said you're doing interpretive dance. Now, that wasn't dance school. No, no. What did I you actually learn in art school? I study dance. I, I always have danced, but I don't think anyone actually ever taught me mm-hmm. um, how to dance. That just kind of happened. Um, no ballet I, lessons, no tap, no jazz. You know, I did ballet for a hot second when I was five. Mm-hmm. And I quit after all. a few months because I was like, no, this is not happening. And I started playing the drums instead. <laughs> um, yeah, I should have picked up on uh, my queerness a little earlier than I did, I think. <laughs> I want to play the drums. Um Art school. Yeah. I studied sculpture with, um, a double major in illustration. Uh, we were just down the hill from Brown university in Providence as well. So I basically audited the entire theater studies program there. I like, you know, audited a bunch of classes. I worked on tons of those shows. I was working in the scene shop and, um, you know, so you're no yeah. stranger to backstage. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I, I grew up in the backstage actually. That's where I started. And then I, or I know there was a wave like in high school, it was an onstage thing while I was studying art. I was mostly backstage props, set construction, design, stage managing. And then I like also came back onto the stage by starting my own stuff in college and then coming here. Um, 
but yeah, so I studied sculpture and illustration as a double major at RISD. Um, and then I had a, a concentration in literary studies and critical theory. Uh, this is not an unintelligent person in front of me. This well-read, well-rounded, uh, and quite the performer. You have gone from onstage, backstage, to some production now as well, producing yeah. your own thing. Yeah, um, I'm working on a, a long-term theater project right now that's opening next February here at the, the Pfefferberg Theater at Zinefelder Platz. Okay, slowly again, please. The Pfefferberg Theater. Pfefferberg. Pfefferberg, like, like pfeffer, like pepper, Pepperberg okay. Theater. It's a whole complex, and they have a beautiful theater there. Um, I am. We are starting a a acro theater show. It's a mashup between traditional theater, acrobatics, and modern dance. Um, and it's about artificial intelligence and artificial empathy. Ooh and our future with it, and what kind of future we as humans desire with it, what we're hoping to get from designing these carbon copies of ourselves. Um, and notice you're not using the term singularity. Well, the singularity, um, I think, is a really loaded term, and a lot of people are terrified of it. I think what we're interested in with the show is um, really experimenting with human-level intelligence and human level empathy which in the theory of ai is like the step before the singularity before it exceeds us because um i think that's really where a lot of our you know messy human questions come in where like you know we're what is there to be gained from this invention like what are we really hoping for you know like on the surface you can always say oh yeah you know um home robots and life improvement and we'll use it in the field of medicine and we'll use it for all these things and you know blah, but none of those none of those are really reasons why we need humanoid ai you know we always have such an obsession with putting it in the human body and making copies of ourselves and the most believable copies of ourselves and um our question with the show is what are we hoping to gain from that you know, why are we recreating ourselves? What questions about ourselves do we have that we're trying to answer through having artificial copies of those, of ourselves? And can we ever really build trust with it? Can we really ever love an artificial empathy that we build ourselves? You know, I think that's really where a lot of messy stuff comes up. And we're really fascinated by that. That's, this sounds wonderful. Mm -hmm. And it's opening next year? Yeah, next year in February of 2019. Now, we have been coming to quite a few shows lately, mm -hmm. and occasionally we're hearing that you are just on stage as Alexander. Mm -hmm. Now, your full name, as you'd said earlier, was mm -hmm. Alexander Cameltoe. Mm -hmm. Have you dropped the Cameltoe portion? Um, I think we're in a transition phase currently. Um, I've talked to my drag mom, drag stepmom, I don't know, <laughs> call her Pansy, um, mm -hmm. who also gave me the start on the stage recently a lot, and uh, she's under the impression that Cameltoe isn't really right. Uh -huh. um, and so she's just been introducing me as Alexander because she's like, well, to me, you're just Alexander, you know? <laughs> and um, yeah, I've been thinking about it. I don't really have a good answer yet, you know? I like it because it has this pun, like Alexander Cameltoe. It came from a pun on Alexander Hamilton because I was currently obsessed with that musical. <laughs> <laughs> um, and because also on stage, I don't really pretend to be a man ever. You know, there isn't really that illusion where it's like, who am I trying to fool? You know, it's really like an, an idea of like dropping gender or um, exceeding gender on either side. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, the camel toe was a pretty funny gag on that, I guess. Um, but yeah, it does more, it does really more play to my 
uh, comedic performances, which I do a lot of, you know, like my some of my um, <clears throat> spoken word things and rewritten songs and parodies are, you know, very funny and in the comedy line. And there I think it really fits. But I also have a history of doing very serious work mm -hmm. and really more like introspective intellectual work, like the Bjork tribute, I think, was more serious. And um, I have a lot of that stuff. But you've done many things that were socially uh, public service announcements, people mm -hmm. keep your hands off. Consent is everything. Yeah. For mean, instance, there are, there are some things that I don't really want to joke about when mm -hmm. I talk about them. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I wrote, um, a, a poem last year when the me too wave was happening. Yeah. I, I performed that in several places, including a rally. Um, and that was really about my own and other people's experiences with institutionalized rape culture. And I didn't want that to be under the umbrella of like comedy or, oh, it's just entertainment. It's all just lighthearted, you know, of this pun name and the silly thing where you have to reclaim seriousness once you hit the stage. You know, you're, you're introduced as this thing that's like, oh, this is a joke. But then you have to reclaim the space and be like, no, actually, we're not joking today. It's more serious than that. So I'm still trying to find a, a good middle ground. I have a, a very emotional attachment to the to the full name because that's how I started, and I think it's it's cute and it's really funny, and I identify with it. But I don't know if I'm done developing my name yet. Are we, are we looking for a new name? We won't be calling you Alexander much longer. No, I think Alexander. I have a lot of feelings for, okay. and I've started responding to it. I've started thinking of myself to it. I've started signing emails like that when I'm booking gigs, mm -hmm. you know, um, and. I, I love the name because it has an inextricable meaning um, linked to Berlin, you know, der Alex, yeah. the biggest mm -hmm. tower and also phallocentric symbol in our, <laughs> in our entire city. Um, but it's also a, mon a monument that I really love. It's ugly as hell, but I have so many like feelings for it. I think it's fantastic. Um, Alexander, the character that I named it after, you know, I really identified with that character from from musical theater if not so much like the true historical character but like really the way it was interpreted and that piece of theater i thought it was fantastic and it has this this air around it that i think i bring through a lot in alexander like my looks have this very strange faux military faux royalty thing happening a lot and alexander is such a rich name you know it's like all these conquerors alexander the great all of these historical weird figures come up when you think of that name and um i think i enjoy that connotation i mean alexander's a bit of a garbage prince so i think i like that you know <laughs> before we actually started recording we were talking about your name mm -hmm. and you told us you were getting some variations on it yeah recently i actually i actually forget which gig it was for my brain is like the Swiss cheese that I grew up eating. Um, but yeah, people have started like when, when they're advertising a show that I'm in, um, it's happened once or twice now that it's been spelt Alexander with triple X. And, um, that's cool. <laughs> you know, like, I wonder if that's a response to some of the things that you have created for your character on stage. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I was recently, spotted at the Deutsche Oper sporting a ridiculously massive golden penis. So maybe people are picking up on Oh, that's a new one. aspects <laughs> of my performance. But I was I was actually surprised because I was like, oh, most of the time I'm just a very 
you know, intellectual downer. <laughs> we've, we've seen you work with um, a vest of nipples. Yes. Uh, a, a jacket of fingers. Yes. The nipples and the fingers were yours, but I'm thinking we are probably borrowed somebody else's penis. Oh, um, that one was actually straight out of the costume fundus of the Deutsche Oper. Oh. Existed already. I just asked for a ridiculous cod piece and they provided. Um, <laughs> I was, I was very excited about that. No yeah. telling what you're going to find backstage at the Deutsche Oper. Oh, there's so many like fawn characters and, you know, every interpretation of uh, Zauberflöte, I think, has a <laughs> couple of interesting <laughs> sex specters in there. So, uh, you know. All right, let's change tack yet again. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you said earlier was that you were able to be politically a portion of what was going on by being back in Germany mm -hmm. and being able to vote. And you cover social issues when you step on the stage. Mm -hmm. What is your passion socially? What is your most important? What, what, what are the things that make you want to go and speak out? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's such a wide spectrum, I think. Um, I think that something that's just extremely important to me is that especially our generation and the next generation, you know, people 25 and under um, reclaim or perhaps claim for the first time their political agency. Um, and it's something that, I've, that I think about a lot, that we are a generation that has grown up in the Western world, European world, or in the uh, United States, perhaps. Um, we've grown up in a time of relative peace. The generations that have uh, come before us, you know, there was always uh, direct political or military conflict going on. Um, if you look at Berlin, even, you know, the 25 years ago, the, the wall fell. And before <coughs> that, we were constantly in a time of political up uproar. Um, and our generation has grown up with a buffer zone from this kind of immediacy. Um, and a very frustrated conversation that I have a lot with my contemporaries is this idea that so many still have in their heads of, oh no, mom and dad are going to do it for us. I'm so young. I don't look like a politician. I'm so young. I shouldn't be politically active or I don't have a voice in these conversations or my voice isn't relevant or it's not important. And I think that's um, very dangerous because whether we like it or not, we are the next generation in charge and we're not 14 anymore, you know? <laughs> um, but frequently on, the, on, these, on these issues, some of us are still behaving that way. And I, I like also the, the art form of drag to activate that sense in people where it's like, yes, I'm a ridiculous person that's in front of you right now. But that can I, you take, know, you know, now, I, now you have my attention. Yeah. So now you can speak to me. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, I'm a ridiculous person. I'm here to entertain you. I don't look anything like a politician or like your idea of the old white man in a suit. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that image of the politician has eclipsed itself. We've seen that that doesn't always work or that that's not just a visual that we can blindly trust in. So I think that no matter what you look like or who you present like, you need to have a voice and you need to have an educated opinion. You need to go out there and you need to read and you need to do research your research and you need to know what's going on. And that's our responsibility. And yeah, I'm a ridiculous person and I will entertain you. Don't get me wrong. I will entertain you. I'm not just going to be a downer, but I'm going to make you think the way that I think we all have the ability and the responsibility to think. 
And, um, you know, I mean, I, I speak about on stage, I speak about things that directly affect me as a human being, because I don't want to speak for anybody else. Um, so I speak about institutionalized rape culture, institutionalized misogyny, um, misogyny and discrimination inside the LGBTQ community, which is still very, very present and very, very there. And, um, you know, things like consent, um, there's a whole spectrum, you know, I mean, I just recently did a piece about, um, this universal belief that artists don't need to get paid for their things. It's currently Berlin fashion week. And I know that none of these models are getting paid. And so few of the people working also in the backstage of these things are getting paid. It's all based on unpaid labor. Um, I've worked enough of these things to know. And I think it's ridiculous that artists are being exploited in this way because it's something that literally makes the world a better place. And it's something that everybody wants and needs music, video, entertainment, dancing, everything, um, fine art, and no one wants to pay for it. So these are the kinds of topics that I tackle. But isn't exposure worth it? No, it isn't. <laughs> no, it's not. I've done enough for exposure. I'm done. Don't ask me to work for free. <laughs> you know? How do we ask you to work? How do we ask you? Oh, how do we reach? The, do you have a manager, a momager? Are you your own manager? I'm definitely my own manager. Yep. Uh, How do we get in touch with you to book Alexander? Um, most of my bookings happen over Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at, um, at who underscore the fuck underscore is Alexander. Um, with one X. With one X. <laughs> who the fuck is Alexander? That's me. You can message me there. Um, you can also contact me via email over that profile for bookings. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Any type of booking you would re you would refuse? Okay. Unpaid, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't work for free anymore unless it's something that I volunteer if it's for a charity event or something. For example, my sister here in Berlin, Olympia Bukakis mm -hmm. frequently uh, hosts an event called Queens Against Borders yes. along with Diva Maggie. Mm -hmm. And that is a charity event to help, um, queers and trans people with a uh, background, a migration background to get settled in Berlin, uh, to, you know, find their route here in Berlin. And I think yeah. that's fantastic. So I will volunteer my time for that kind of thing. But if it's for an event that is in some way profitable, I refuse to work for free. What type of booking would you say, no, I'm not doing that? Or you haven't run into that yet? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't like it. It's, it's, it's this very vague feeling that you get or that that's, it's hard to describe, but frequently you get this vibe from an event where they have this idea of like dance monkey dance, you know, where it's like a very straight or like very nothing against straightness I don't want to discriminate <laughs> but no but like you you just walk into a place sometimes and you're like oh wow I feel like a freak here mm -hmm. you know and I feel like it's got this freak show idea of oh entertain the people with this crazy creative nightlife human you know and mm -hmm. it's it feels like that's not um people that will actually want to listen and you know if, I, if I'm going to be performing as my drag character, then I will entertain you, but I will also ask you to listen. And if I feel like that um, is not going to happen, that'd be weird. Or like last year, the Oktoberfest mm -hmm. asked me like, oh, hey, like, will you come and do a fun little Oktoberfest thing with us? And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't think that's my brand. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they offered me a crap ton of money too, but I was like, ah, this is going to be very awkward. I don't think I'm going to do it. I have one personal question from me because I just thought of this while you were talking. Mm. You said that there is still a 
misogyny issue within the LGBT community. Yes, there certainly is. Um, is there a way to fight through that? Um, you see it all the time. You know, you, I mean, you see people doing amazing work and you see these fantastic inclusive spaces, mm-hmm. um, especially here in Berlin. I think we're very lucky here with the amount of thought that goes into organized events, you know, but I think internationally, especially there's still a huge problem in the drag scene, for example, you know, hyper queens are not accepted as a thing. Mm-hmm. It's like if you were born with a female body and you present female on stage, you're not doing drag. Um, drag kings are really awkward for a lot of people. They don't, they don't know what to do with us, you know? They're like, oh, but like there's this thick, it's the stigma of like, oh, drag kings aren't funny and they're not sexy. And uh, everyone's like projecting their daddy issues onto us. And like, we don't want that in our spaces. Like I've I've run into that a couple of times Um, because I think we're still at our root terrified to criticize and make fun of masculinity. You know, it's it's very scary. It's a lot more scary than making fun of the things that we already think are funny about women, you know, and you see a lot of drag and drag queens also that have very misogynist drag where it's like, oh, I'm presenting as a a stupid woman. That's just like, oh, I'm just I'm just sexy. And I'm just like, uh, you know, like slutty and dumb and like. I don't know. I know that sounds problematic, but um, I think that frequently negative stereotypes about women are perpetuated more than um, what we should be talking about in the drag scene. Um, So I don't know. There's there's some complicated feelings there, but also in the LGBTQ clubbing scene, for example, I don't know how many times it's happened that I'm at a, a party populated mostly by gay men, cis gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they're not considering themselves a direct sexual threat to me because I'm female bodied, um, they feel like it's cool to slap my ass, grab my boobs, literally grab my pussy. Um, and I'm like, wow, what? Like, am I part of the furniture here? Like, what? where is this coming from? Is Why it time to start here? grabbing back? You know, I, I don't want to sink to that level. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at some point I do, I do prosthetics. So maybe I will have like a tooth vagina prosthetic oh, there you go. to just get people really freaked out you know start some urban myths put that outside the clothing with a little snapshot like a venus flytrap yeah i feel like i couldn't have a market here you know <laughs> might. Might. and one last question if i may what do you find the most fun about drag oh god the most fun um the exchange with the audience I think drag is one of the most generous art forms that we have um, because it relies on the generosity of the audience showing up. They come, they give us their time and their money uh, because they're interested in what we do. Mm -hmm. It's extremely generous from the performer's side because we put way more time and effort into these gigs than we're getting paid a lot of the time. And it's really a labor of love and a labor of passion. And the whole thing rides on this exchange of like, I give you performance and you give me um, life on the stage by, by cheering for me, by paying attention, by not talking through it, you know, like we're, we're very vulnerable on that stage. We put ourselves out there in a very, very, you know, vulnerable state. And the fact that people cheer us on and keep showing up and keep coming for that makes us give back even more. And I think that generous exchange with the audience is what it's all about for me. Thank you very much for Mm -hmm. coming in, for being on a stage. Mm -hmm. Um, and also because something recent has been started, thank you for letting me video and yes. take pictures. Please. 
that's very much appreciated, but for doing what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> we have reached the end of another episode of Sparkle Town. Thank you for making it all this way along. And of course you did because it was an interesting interview with a very, very interesting person. If you want to uh, help us out, then please uh, try to follow us on Instagram. Instagram and Facebook under Sparkle Town Podcast. And feel free to comment if you have any suggestions, ideas, um, anything that you have to say, even if you have criticism. Um, uh, yes, because I can take it. Yes, you can. Absolutely. And so can I, I think, somewhat to an Sometimes. extent. <laughs> it happens, depends on what it is. I like. I have a friend in Sweden who has a radio show, and his email address for people to write to the a a radio show is uh, preferably only positive criticism at gmail.com, <laughs> which uh, I like. But um, uh, we're not we're not tender. If you think we can improve, please let us know, and we will do our utmost to do so. Well, I'm precious about the podcast, but I'm not precious about if I've made a mistake. Right. Talk to me. Right. So um, we'll be back, I'm going to say next week, because I really want us to do this on a weekly schedule. We're sort of getting there. Yeah. We're almost on a weekly schedule. <laughs> that That's the goal. I think we can, I think we can sustain that. So any other last parting word? Hey, do bye-bye, tschüss. Sparkle. You are now departing Sparkle Town. Be careful out there. It's a scary world and there's lots of darkness and stuff going on, but uh, you can always return to Sparkle Town for a dose of joy and happiness. I was going to say at any time, but actually, yeah, you can. You can keep re-listening to the episode if you want. Uh, nothing's stopping you. And uh, as we mentioned before, there's nothing stopping you from following us on social media. That's uh, Twitter. Twitter? We're not on Twitter. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Sparkletown Podcast. <laughs>